Get to Old Navy now for February's biggest style steal. 40% off all jeans and tees. Jeans start at just 18 bucks for adults, 12 bucks for kids. With tees from just 7 bucks for adults, 6 bucks for kids. All jeans and tees are on sale, even your favorite rock star jeans. All jeans and all tees are 40% off right now. Don't miss out. Run into Old Navy and OldNavy.com today. Valid 211 to 221 excludes in-store clearance jeans and tees. Active license and men's package tees. thing go from left to right and I thought I'm going to die out here no one's ever going to know I couldn't believe what my eyeballs were showing me I'll never forget how evil the eyes were it was horrible I mean I've never seen nothing that evil it ran towards me at a a rate that I, I I can't even explain turned and stared at me and this look of I just want to kill you I want to say it was human, but it wasn't. He was, he, was, he was yelling at me to grab a gun, grab a gun. I was like, for what? He said, just grab a gun. And there's footprints all the way to the door of my house. It had went inside my garage all the way to the door. 911, what are you reporting? Jesus Christ, you better... Sir? Yeah. Hello? Get somebody out here. What's going on now, sir? That son of a bitch is about six foot... Nine, I don't know. Do you see him now, sir? Yes, I'm looking right at him. Uh oh. You're listening to Sasquatch Chronicles. Check us out online at If you've had an encounter, email me. My email address is Wes at SasquatchChronicles.com. Welcome to the show, everyone. Thanks for being here tonight. Got a great show planned for you tonight. Going to be talking to uh, Grizz. It's the nickname he goes by. And Grizz actually lives in southeast Oklahoma. And his whole family has encountered these creatures for many, many years. He's known about these things. And uh, he's going to be sharing his family history with some of the creatures tonight. And also his own personal experiences, including one where he actually had he shot one of these creatures. A very fascinating account, and he'll go into his description of what he saw, why he took a shot, and if he feels bad about shooting it. If you've had an encounter and you'd like to be on the show, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com, and if you get a chance, check out sasquatchchronicles.com. You can become a member, get additional shows. I'm not on YouTube, so if you're listening to it on YouTube, it's been taken from the site and put up on YouTube. Uh, so if you get a chance, please go to SasquatchChronicles.com and check out the content. There's a blog, a lot of cool stuff on the site. I hope you get a chance to check it out. I want to actually jump into it tonight. There's so much to get to. I know it's going to be a longer show than normal. Uh, Grizz, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for being here. Uh, no problem, man. Yeah, thank you again for coming on. I really appreciate you being here. Uh, before we actually get into your own personal encounters, I know your family has kind of a long history of run-ins with these creatures and being on the property uh, down there in southeast Oklahoma. If you would, would you kind of start with that? Tell us a little bit about some of the experiences your family's had, and then we'll walk into some of your encounters. Yeah, I'm, uh, it happened in the late 70s. My grandparents and my dad started noticing that uh, 
something was going into their wash house, which was built away from their house about 10 or 15 feet. That's where they had their washer and dryer, and they kept their deep freezes out there. They started noticing that the door would be open, and the lid on the deep freeze would be open, and they they had meat coming up missing and vegetables that they froze from out of the garden out there. It was going on for a few days before they actually seen anything. But one night, my grandma and my dad and my Uncle Matthew was all there in the living room, and they kept getting a smell coming from back behind the couch, which behind the couch, there was a great big picture window about five, six foot long and about four foot tall. And on each side of it, it's got little 11 or 12 inch windows, two of them on each side that open up so you can let the breeze come through the house. And they kept getting a smell. And my dad described it as the way a cotton mouth smells, kind of a fishy, musky stench. So they went over there and pulled the couch out and because my dad was convinced that there was a snake in the house. But he would pull the couch out and they was looking around, looked underneath it and stuff. Well, they couldn't see nothing. So I put it all back. My grandma went back in the kitchen. My dad went out on the front porch. And my Uncle Matthew, he was about eight at the time was sitting in the living room at the coffee table, which was about five or six foot out in front of the couch, messing around there with some stuff. I think he was playing with cars, is what I was told, on top of this big iron coffee table. Well, he started screaming like something was wrong with him, like something had a hold of him or something, you know. He was like he was hurt. So Dad come running in the house, you know, asking what was wrong, and Grandma come out of the kitchen. And she just so happened to look over at that picture window when she did and seen what she described as a great, big, dirty, hairy man kind of sitting up on his haunches like he was squatted down there looking in the window. The way the house is built, my grandpa and his dad built the house and they dug out the hill side so that picture window the bottom of the window is about level with the ground when you're looking out the back and she said it was squatted over there and it was taking up the whole window from the bottom to the top and it was just right outside of the light just where you could see it barely in the light from the living room in the dark there and so what happens next did they I mean, God, that's got to be terrifying, something that big. That's a big window you're describing. And for it to take up a whole window, uh, you know you know it's large. Yeah. Well, you got to figure, you know, it pretty much squatting down almost with its butt on the ground, you know, taking up basically four foot of space from top to bottom. You can almost double that when it stands up, you know. But my grandma was like, you know, who is that? What is that? You know, what my dad looked up and seen it. And when he looked up and seen it, it took off. 
So he took off for the front door because he was going to run around the back of the house, you know, to meet it. And he grabbed a shotgun out of the corner there by the door as he was going. When he got in the backyard, he had enough time to see it jump over the yard fence right behind the house, which was a four-foot-high hog wire fence with two rows of barbed wire on top of it. So altogether, it was probably about five foot off the ground to the top of the fence, you know. He said it just hopped over that like it wasn't there, you know, just basically stepped over it. So he run toward the gate to chase it out back behind the yard in the big part of the yard. And he said he could just see it with a little bit of moonlight. He said he couldn't make out the color of it or nothing like that, but he could just see it with a little bit of moonlight as it jumped over the back fence out of the big yard out by the chicken coop, which is about a six-foot, two-before wire fence. It's got little two-inch, four-inch tall squares in it, you know, or rectangles. Yeah. He, he said it went right over that across the little driveway there, kind of heading out toward the chicken coop there. So he took off to the other gate that went out of there out to where the chicken coop was. He said he watched it as it was trying to make the corner at the corner of the chicken fence. And it run into a railroad tie post at the corner. And it just snapped it off at the ground when it hit it. He said just kind of bounced off a little bit, but snapped that post off level with the ground. So, Right then, he figured, you know, that wasn't a man, because there ain't no way a man's going to, you know, bust off a railroad tie post. And he said, so he stopped, but he watched it keep running. And they'd been clearing out the fence row that was right there next to the chicken pen. They had a little brush pile out there. He said it was about six or seven foot high off the ground. He said it just kind of hopped right over the top of it. And up the side of the hill and it was gone but my grandma had called the laws and they come out there looking around and stuff she told them she thought it might have been what she called a uh a miscreant you know uh like a hobo because they'd been stealing stuff out of her wash house and whatnot they put a padlock on the wash house after that to keep it from going in there to keep people out you know and her bedroom was on the far end of the house that was closest to the wash house and had a window that was almost straight across from the wash house door. She said for about a week there, after they seen it, she could hear something messing with that wash house door and she'd get up the bed and turn on her bedroom light and then she could hear it running like running off because there's a laid brick pathway between the house and the wash house and that goes all the way up that one side of the house and she said you could hear something pretty heavy running across that brick when she turned her light on did your grandma ever come back and say it obviously wasn't a person or did she always think it was a person no she uh she actually ended up making kind of like a report type deal with the BFRO website, she had stated to me 
years later before she had passed away that she knew it was a Sasquatch. You know, she just knew it. There's no way that would have been a person that large in that window and that hairy, you know. Yeah, it makes sense. You know, and it, it's in our, I'm always fascinated with people, especially in your area, uh, because I think a lot of people, especially a lot of old timers, know a lot more than what they say. And if you look at reports and incidents reported from a lot of these different websites like BFRO, it doesn't seem like there's, a, I mean, there is stuff going on in Oklahoma, but I think there's way more that goes on down there. As you and I were talking before we went on the air, I was telling you, I get more reports out of Oklahoma than I do from the Pacific Northwest. Way more reports. Yeah. Um, and I'm always amazed by it. And I want to come back to some of your family stories. Uh, if you would, would you walk us into your first encounter? I know you were pretty young. For your first encounter, you got a good look at it. I know there's another encounter where you got a better look at it. But kind of walk us into that when you were with, I think you were with your sister, weren't you? And her boyfriend? Yeah, we was uh we was at my grandpa's place on my mom's side of the family. But she lives well, he lived he doesn't live there now, now he lives out in the western part of Oklahoma. But he lived about eleven miles or so back south and east of where my house is now, which is kinda out in more of the mountains, you know, well the hills but we call them mountains out more in the mountains than where my place is. But, uh, we was over there and her boyfriend didn't live too far from my grandpa's place. I want to say I was somewhere pretty close to 10, 11 years old, something like that. We decided we won't go driving around down in what we call McCutcheon bottom because the original landowner of that place, his last name was McCutcheon. And some company had bought the land from him, and they pretty much basically like hired my grandfather to be the caretaker of it because they were selling it, selling it off in little five-acre tracks, and there was about 400 acres there. They pretty much paid him with 10 acres of land down in there, whatever 10 acres he wanted to choose to go down in there and keep it brush hogged off in the fields and stuff and keep the road in decentish driving condition that went around pretty much the perimeter of the property. So we decided we were going to go down there and drive around and there's a creek that starts off from a big rock bluff that's on the edge of that property that winds around pretty much right through the center of it. And we was driving around, and we uh, started across this little creek, which it was pretty much dried up, but there was still some moisture in the ground around it, pretty heavy, you know. And we started up out of it, and the back end of the trunk, the truck got stuck. So we was just there. We had one of those car phones. You know, it wasn't really like a handheld cell phone but it like plugged up in your cigarette lighter and had a big battery pack on it, you know? Oh yeah. I remember. <laughs> Cost you a we, fortune to make a phone call too, but sorry, go yeah. ahead. We, we had one of those for just in case we got stuck down in there. My grandpa had it cause he was a cattle hot shot. He hot shot a cow for people. 
and he'd take it in the truck with him so he could call back to the house and stuff, you know. But we had it just in case we got stuffed or something so we could call him and he could come down there and pull us out. And, well, we got stuck and we called him. He said, well, you know, give him about 30 minutes and he'd be down there. We went, all right. So we're just sitting there. And my sister's boyfriend had killed the pickup. And we just had the headlights on with the radio going just pretty low, you know, sitting there talking, listening to the radio. Well, on the edge of the headlights off to the right of us, you could just barely see off in the trees a little bit. And you could see, you know, the creek banks. And these creek banks was cut by the water pretty deep. The banks were about six, seven foot down to the creek bed, you know, on both sides right there in that little area, back away from us over a little way. And we seen something that looked like it was on all fours go off the bank down in that creek bed. And I was thinking to myself and stuff, you know, that looks like a bear. So I kind of pointed it out as it was coming down into the creek bed to my sister and her boyfriend. Hey, look, there's a, there's a black bear over there, you know. And my sister just barely had caught a glimpse of it right before it disappeared down into the bed, you know. She was like, well, that's pretty cool. We're just sitting there. And it probably wasn't, you know, 10, 15, maybe 20 seconds later. It popped up on the edge of the creek bed there closer to us. And it was just like head and shoulders up above it. Now, I, I was like, look, there it is, you know, and we're sitting there looking at it. Well, then it put its hands, not not paws, its hands up there on the ground and kind of picked itself up and crawled up out of that creek bed onto the top of the bank there. And I was like, what the heck, you know? But it was still kind of on all fours when it come up out of there. And my sister was like, yeah, that's a bear. And I was like, yeah, it looks like a bear. And Chris was like, yeah, that's a bear. Well, then it started standing up. And it just kept standing up. And, you know, it seemed like it took it forever to stand plumb up because it was, just kept coming up. And it kind of took a couple steps after it got stood up. And they turned and looked over there at the pickup. Well, when he did, you could plainly see that it didn't have a snout or a muzzle like a bear or a dog. It was flat-faced. There wasn't nothing hanging out there off the end of its face. And, you know, it was like, that ain't no bear. And it stood there, and it just kind of looked, and it kind of bobbed its head up and down just real slow, like it was kind of sort of leaning in at us and then standing back up a little bit, you know? Well... It seemed like forever, but it probably really wasn't but about 10 seconds it did that. And Chris reached up there and hit the high beams on the pickup because it was on the low beams. And when it switched, the light got brighter and, you know, showed higher up on it and stuff. Well, when it did, it throwed its arm up in front of its face, and then it took off running out in front of the truck about... It probably wasn't 30 or 40 yards off in front of the truck when it crossed the road in front of us and then 
we could hear it as it went up the hillside. Their little old knoll going through the brush and popping limbs and stuff until it topped out and went over the other side, and then you couldn't hear it no more. And was and, uh, it, was it on two legs the whole time? Yeah, once once it got up out of the creek bed and stood up, it was on two legs from there on out. You know, bears don't cover their eyes and hold their hand up or their paw and run on two feet. No, they like don't. A dang wind sprint or nothing, you know. And that's that's what it was like. It was like it was running a forty yard dash just as fast as it could, just flash across that road and up the side of that hill. Did it just kind of look like a hairy man, or how would you describe what you saw? I I wouldn't say it really looked like a hairy man. I mean, it, as far as the body, you know, having two legs and two arms and a head sitting on shoulders, that would look like a man, but it was way thicker than any man. The best way you could describe it would be like a, I wouldn't say a bodybuilder because it wasn't like it just had, you know, super giant, large, defined muscles or nothing like that. But you could see the muscle under the hair as it run. It would have been more like a a strong man, you know, the guy that do the world's strongest man. Yeah, Big, just a real chested, yeah, thick from top to bottom. And I didn't really notice if it had like a cone-shaped head like a gorilla or a real round head or nothing because it wasn't really lit up good enough to tell a whole lot of definition besides when it runs right there pretty close in front of the truck you could see the muscles in its legs when it'd take a step you know kind of like in that uh patty film if you slow it down and watch it as it walks away you can see that muscle flexing its leg on the side of its leg you you could see that as it ran what, what did you think you were looking at at the time, Grizz? I know your your family has a long history of with these things, yeah. but did you know right away what you were looking at? Or I I was really more confused about it at the time, you know. But within just a couple of minutes of it getting out of eye shot and ear shot, my sister was saying, you know that that was a Bigfoot, no doubt. You know, that was a Bigfoot. We've seen a Bigfoot. And her boyfriend, Chris, he was kind of reluctant to admit to it. And I just kind of agreed with my sister, you know what? Yeah, that had to be a Bigfoot. And so what happens next? It it just leaves and then you guys obviously get pulled out of there? Yeah, my grandpa showed up probably 10 to 15 minutes after that had happened to pull us out and when he pulled up behind us we crawled out of the truck and we was all telling him you know that we seen a bigfoot and it was right over there and run across the road and he pretty much blew us off and told us we were scaring ourselves and you know there wasn't no such thing as a bigfoot and this and that if only he'd have been there you know 10 minutes sooner he'd have seen it for himself yeah, and and it's important to note this is the other side of the family, right? This is your mom's. This isn't the grandparents it, you were talking about earlier. No, this this would be my mom's side of the family. Yeah, it makes you wonder yeah. why it would come out like that. You know, why it would show itself to you guys in the truck. They I, do it a lot, but it makes you wonder why. You know what I mean? 
Yeah. I really don't think it was paying much attention because we'd sat there for several minutes before that had happened, you know, with the truck off, the radio was just barely playing. And we're sitting there with the windows up, just kindly talking, not talking real loud, just talking amongst ourselves there in the cab of the truck, you know, we was all right there in close quarters. So we wasn't being loud. And I, I just don't think it was paying much attention. It was just meandering through there, you know. And then when it come up out of that creek bed, it noticed, hey, there's lights right there. So it kind of stared us down. I think it was probably trying to figure out what we was just as much as we were trying to figure out what it was. Yeah, it sounds like it. Changed them lights, you know, it changed its whole mood to that's just lights sitting there, you know, I need to get out of here. So we beat feet on out of there. Yeah, it's still fascinating to me that they'll do that. You know, I don't think they're quite the shy creature, shy and timid creature everyone thinks they are. Um, I think in a lot of those situations, you hear them with people coming down the road. Um, And and if you've ever been out on a country road at night, you can hear a car coming a mile away. And it's like they wait till the last minute and then jump out right in front of you. Um, I hear those encounters time and time again, and they always shock me. Because you you would think for such an intelligent animal, it would sit and just wait, know a car's coming. I'm going to sit and wait till it goes by, and then I'm going to cross. But that's not the way it happens. I know a couple of years later, it was three or four years later, you were 15, 16 years old, I believe. You'll have to correct me on that, Grizz. But um, you had another encounter. Would, would you mind walking us into it? And What were you doing and what happened? Oh, yeah, I was. Uh, by this time, my mom and dad had been divorced for a while. And my mom had moved us, me and my sister, out to the western side of the state, kind of out toward Lawton, Oklahoma, out in that area. Well, I'd come down to my dad's house every other weekend, and then during the summertime, I'd come down and spend a couple weeks at a time at his house, and I got to where I was walking down here to the creek, that's about half a mile from the house, across some Corps of Engineers land. I'd walk down there to that creek and catfish during the early morning and then in the evening and I was 15. So by that time, my dad was trusting enough. He'd let me take a gun down there by myself in case I found some snakes or something, you know, to shoot. Or if I decided instead of fishing, I might want to get up and walk around the bottom there and shoot some squirrels or something like that. You know, throughout that summer, I've been down here a couple of different times. So it was, getting into July, you know, about this time of year. And we had heard, just like all throughout the years of me growing up, some hoops and stuff. Sound almost like a damn big coyote, but a lot deeper than a coyote or a wolf gets whenever it howls. We'd we'd hear that throughout the summer around here. Back to the north of the house and the south and back east and west it was almost like they was hollering back and forth saying you know i'm over here and well i'm over here and i'm down here and i'm up here type thing you know well i was sitting down there fishing one morning i can't remember the exact date but i know it was in july 
I think it was about my third trip to come stay a week or so with my dad. And my stepmom was up here at the house watching a NASCAR race because my dad was a big-time NASCAR fan, and he was gone working. So she'd watch the race and call him and tell him periodically, you know, who was winning, who was in the lead, and all that good stuff because he was pretty hardcore about it. I was down there, and I kept hearing something whooping and kind of hollering, almost like a howl, but it seemed to me like it was real loud. And my dad had got a track phone for me to take, like down there with me in case something happened or something, you know, so I could get a hold of somebody if I needed to. Well, I called my stepmom on it. I was like, hey, you know, go outside and see if you can hear this. She's like, what? I was like, them damn screechers. That's what our neighbors up the hill from us, about a quarter mile here. That's what they called them. They was older folks. Like they would have been probably old enough to be my my grand my granddad's parents. You know, they was older folks. When they'd hear them, they'd talk to my dad about the screechers hollering and stuff. So we was just kind of calling them screechers because they was. I was like, see if you can hear this screecher going off. She like, well, all right. And she went outside, and it popped off a couple of times there. And she's like, I don't hear nothing. I was like, well, I do, loud and clear, you know. Well, across the creek from me, there's a big sycamore tree. That's probably, if you measured it one side to the other on the trunk, it's probably about three foot thick, you know. Well, I seen a little bit of movement across there, kind of back behind that sycamore tree a little bit. I told my stepmom, I was like, if I could see something. She was like, what do you mean you think you see something? About that time, I seen part of the face kind of pop out from behind that sycamore tree, just like an eye and part of the cheek, you know, like somebody playing peekaboo with you. And then it disappeared real quick. It probably wasn't there just a second or two. I was like, I seen something, you know, and she, she said, what? I was like, I don't know, but I can see something moving around over across the creek. Well, after it kind of hooped again just a little bit, and then it stuck its whole head and, like, right side, almost down to its foot, kind of out behind the tree, like it leaned out from behind the tree, you know. And I told Michelle, I was like, holy shit, there it is. You know, she's like, what? I was like, something or somebody and I I was getting pretty scared you know the adrenaline was starting to pump and I remember what my dad had always told me since I started going down there by myself you know if you see somebody down there because we owned that little piece of land that I was on he's like run their ass off you know get them out of here they ain't got no business here so I said okay well I had a Ruger 1022 with me for shooting snakes and stuff. You know, 22 ain't much, but it'll do the job on a snake or a squirrel or what have you. And I had it laying there beside me 
on top of my tackle box. It was laying there on top of it. And then it worked its way right on out from behind the tree. And it was facing me. And it didn't have a whole lot of hair on its front side. It kind of looked like it might have had mange or something, really. I just dropped the phone there on the ground beside the chair and snatched that twenty two up and stood up as quick as I could. And my dad always taught me he was a sniper in the army and he taught me to always shoot with both eyes open because you can keep track of your target better if you got both eyes open. And that twenty two had a three by nine Tasco scope on it, which at 40 yards or so, you know, you can see stuff real clear. And as I was coming up, I shouldered the gun. And when I got full standing, I was aimed in right on its head and neck, chest area, you know. Well, it kind of froze in place like a statue. And it was staring me down. I I could tell it was looking me right right smack in the eye through that scope, you know. Because when you look at somebody, you can tell if they're looking at you in the eye or they're looking somewhere else. It was looking me right in the face. And I was looking at it right in the face. And it just stood there. And then it, it kind of like, leaned in toward me like it was getting a better little bit closer view like it was leaning toward me you know well by this time the fear had gone away and the adrenaline was really really pumping and i don't have much of a flight when it comes to fight or flight i'm more of the fight type you know so i wasn't going nowhere at the time, I thought I was 10 foot tall and bulletproof anyway because, you know, I was 15 years old and almost six foot tall and weighed over 200 pounds. And I was real into powerlifting and stuff. So I'm a big, strong kid. I ain't scared of nothing or nobody, you know. Well, I'm sighted in right on its head and throat I quit really paying attention much to its chest and it seemed like an eternity man it looked at each other well I decided I'd holler out to it because it looked it looked like it could have been a person but you know it wasn't but I said to it you know you better say something or I'm going to shoot you you better talk you know and it it uh, just kind of leaned back a little bit and it brought its arms up, kind of palms out towards me. And when it did, its mouth opened up real wide. I got pretty big hands and about the only way I can describe it is, I don't know if you've ever been noodling or nothing, but you get about a 25 or 30 pound flathead, you can stick your hand in its mouth and have three or four inches of room on one side, you know. Well, that's how big that thing's mouth looked. It looked like I could have stuck both hands in its mouth, you know, flat, and 
touch corner to corner, you know. And it opened its mouth up real big. And I could see inside its mouth, and its mouth was all black, and its tongue was black. It had pretty big teeth as far as, like, eye teeth and stuff. And it had canines, but they wasn't big old giant canines. They was a little more pronounced than a person's canines would be, but they was in there. And its its eyes was sunk back in its head pretty far and looked like 50-cent pieces, you know, as far as size. And I could see a little bit of the white in the corners. And they was real dark, dark brown just almost black. I wouldn't have called them black because you know, it didn't look like it was hollow. I could see a pupil inside the eyeball. But they was real, real, real dark brown. Well, once it got its mouth opened up pretty far, it just kind of like closed its hands up and let out this roar and a growl. And the growl part sounded like you know, them lines on TV when they're sitting over something eating and they go to growling at one another, real deep and guttural and kind of like a big click. That's, that's kind of what it sounded like at first, and then it turned into this roar that just felt like it was shaking your insides out. Well, before it could get that roar plumb out, I had the crosshairs like right under its chin and its throat. And I just squeeze one off in it and it hit it right in the throat and I know it hit it in the throat because when the bullet hit it it reached up and like slapped itself in the neck and then run back up behind that sycamore tree and it you could hear it kind of like coughing back there you know like it swallowed something and got hung up or like when you get a drink and you know it feels like it goes down the wrong hole right yeah it was finally hacking and coughing back there. And while I was sitting there, I went ahead and I bent over kind of sideways and reached down and squatted and grabbed that cell phone. And Michelle, who's my stepmom, she was just a going off. You know, what was that? What's going on and all this? Because she heard it roar. She heard it holler out down there. And she heard me shoot. Because it's kind of like a little valley from my house to that creek. You could almost see the creek if it wasn't for the hill, you could. And But she heard the echo of that 22 from the creek because she was still outside. And I told her, you know, that I'd shot it. She said, what? I said, it. I shot it. Miss Matt, well, then it had quit coughing. And I seen the tan come up on the side of that tree which be my my left on the left side of that tree for me you know on it it would have been its right well when its hand come up i shouldered the gun again and i put the crosshairs and it had five fingers you you kind of broke like a damn you broke up there you said it had five fingers well it had four fingers and a thumb, you know, a hand pretty much like one of ours, but it was about the size of a damn frying pan. And it 
put its hand up on the side of that tree. Well, when it did, I just put the crosshairs in the center of its hand and squeezed off another one. Well, it hit it in the hand and it jerked its hand back and then took off running from my left to the right. And it was screaming and squawking as it was going, you know. And then it got real quiet over there. So while I was thinking about it, I went ahead and I put a new clip because I carried two clips for that 22. I put a new clip in that 22, and I told Michelle I was coming to the house. I said, I'm I'm coming to the house. Call Dad. Tell him. Tell him to come home. I'm coming. I'm coming to the house. And she said, "What's going on?" And you know what? 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 She was still questioning me. I said, "I shot the thing." Sorry for my language, but I'm coming home. I'm coming home right now. She was like, "Okay, okay." Well, as I was walking up the creek to get back to the trail where you could go back to the house, I just caught movement out of the corner of my right eye out there across that creek there was the it was up in a bunch of like sapling oak trees that'd be about four or five inches around you know and it was up in them trees and boy it started screaming and shaking them trees around and then it started busting the tops out of some of them like just bowing them over until they break after it got, I don't know, I heard five or six of them trees pop whenever it was doing it. And I stopped and I was looking back over where it was going on. And it was probably about 50 yards from me, kind of catty corner across that creek where it, where it was messing with them, you know. And then I could see it over the top of some of them trees that was busting off. And it just standing there and it had a hold of a, another little sapling in its right hand and it was kind of shaking it and screaming and I don't know how to describe it it was like nothing you ever heard I've heard I've heard big cats squalling and stuff and it put one of them to shame whenever it screamed you know well I dropped the phone the gun back up on my shoulder and got centered up on its chest and this time I started squeezing shots off at it and I shot three times that time and when it hit it you know you could hear it because if you shoot something like say you you take a board or anything that's got any mass to it and you shoot it with a 22 out there a little ways you you can you can hear the bullet hit whatever you're shooting well it just stood there and took three of them right in the chest like it was like i was shooting it with a dang bb gun and then i squeezed off another one and i guess that one hit a tender spot or something because when that one hit that sucker turned around and took off and this time it was screaming so loud you know just make you think your ears was going to pop and it just started running straight away from me and there's a fence on the edge of a hay meadow where across that creek that you could see through the 
trees, a five wire barbed wire fence that was on the edge of this big hay meadow that was about a hundred yards, 150 yards to that fence from the edge of the creek there. And it seemed like it took it maybe five or six seconds to hit that fence and it didn't jump it. It run right through it. I mean, right through it. Like it wasn't even there. It hit that fence and never slowed down. You could see the post jiggling around going down the fence because it broke, it broke the wires when it hit it, you know, and I watched it, kept my gun on it until it was just almost on the other side of that hay meadow, which that hay meadow is probably, probably close to 300 yards from side to side. It's a big old hay meadow. About the time it was getting to that other tree line, I read it back down and grabbed that cell phone real fast and then stuck my gun back up and I seen it disappear in the trees. And then I felt like, you know, I could, I could go ahead and go home because it wasn't right there close no more. So I, Michelle was still on the phone and she was still, you know, what is that? And all this good stuff. I was like, I don't know. You know, I shot it and it run off. Call dad. Well, then I just put the phone in my pocket, his old flip phone, and I just shut it and put it in my pocket, and I took off running. And I run all the way to the house, right out here in front of the house at the driveway. And when I got to the driveway, it stopped. The phone was ringing in my pocket, so I went ahead and picked it up, you know, answered it, and it was my dad. He was He was a little excited little jumped up you know and he was he was a pretty heavy cusser you know he's what the f is going on and did you f and shoot somebody and all this and when i heard dad's voice it just broke me down you know because i'd i'd started calming down and i kind of realized the heft of the situation I just hit my knees you know it felt like I couldn't even stand up no more I just fell to my knees out there in the driveway and I kind of recounted it back to my dad he said you sure that wasn't a person I said dad if as a person they'd have said something when I shot them you know a person ain't just gonna stand there and scream at you if you're shooting them he uh I said you you need to come home, you know. He said, well, I'm on my way. I'm in McAllister. I'll be there in about 30 minutes. I said, okay. So I hung up the phone, and then my stepmom, she was coming out of the yard fence out there where I was at, and she had my dad's old 4570 because dad had kind of told her, you know, because she hadn't heard him hollering and stuff much her and dad hadn't been together but about a year by then and she'd only heard him a couple of times he'd kind of told her about him stealing dog food out of the garage and stuff whenever i was a kid because he'd leave the garage door open sometimes about halfway to kind of air out the garage because it ain't got no ventilation in it and when he'd leave that door open, something would come up and take the whole sack of dog food. And I don't mean, you know, like a little old 20 pound 
puppy dog dog food sack. I mean, a 50-pound sack. Something would take a whole damn sack, and we'd find the empty sack down there along that creek. But he kind of told her about that. So he told her to get that 4570 and load it up meet me outside whenever she was on the phone with him because there's a story that's on your website and it's called the siege of Holnaby. Yeah. Well, my dad worked with that guy that owned that place and he had told my dad about it cause they kind of crisscrossed Bigfoot stories, you know, while they was at work. My dad was just recounting what that guy told him about him getting aggressive and attacking the house and all that. So he told her to go out there with that big gun and meet me out there, I guess, in case the dang thing was following me home, you know. She met me outside, and I got the gumption up, you know, to get up and go in the house. And I just left that twenty-two laying out there by the bar ditch where I hit my knees out there, and I just dropped it. And I just left it laying out there. We come to the house, and about 30 minutes later, Dad showed up. I was telling him what happened, and, you know, I was emotional and crying and stuff. Because after I thought about it, you know, I, I was scared. I was more scared than anything. Well, he he convinced me we needed to take that 4570 and he had a uh a damn elephant gun a 458 that was left to him by his granddad and he had you know a couple boxes of shells for it he said we can take that elephant gun that 4570 and we can go back down there and look around and make sure you didn't shoot somebody i that that wasn't a person Ain't nothing in this world ever convinced me that I shot a human being down there on that creek. He said, well, you know, all right, we'll go down there. I want to see where this happened. You know, he thought I might have been lying about it. So we go down there and we'll get in a little boat. We had a little aluminum flat bottom boat down there. that we kept right down there on the edge of the creek tied to a post so it wouldn't float off when the creek come up and because during deer season, you know, sometimes you'll shoot a deer and it'll cross that creek. Well, if you shoot something, you got to go find it. You got to go get it, you know? So we, uh, we, we got in the boat and crossed the creek from where we stopped the boat on the other side of the creek and got out on the bank. Dad could see, the tops of some little oak trees I was talking about broke off about six and a half or seven foot off the ground. They was just broke over, you know, had been bent until they snapped. It was all just hanging up on the side of the tree and stuff. And he said, what tree did you see it behind the first time, you know? So I told him it was the big sycamore right out in front of our little fishing spot. And he said, all right, we'll go over there. Well, there's like a little dip in the ground, kind of like a natural ditch that runs 
right there next to that sycamore. Well, that's that thing was standing in that ditch. And there's like a briar patch with honeysuckles growing up out of it right there on the edge of the creek right there that come up about three or four feet. Well, it was standing right on the other side of them honeysuckles and them briars in that ditch when I shot it the first time. And I could see from, I'm guessing, you know, about five or six inches above its belly button up when I shot it the first time. I could I could see that much of it poking up above them briars and them honeysuckles. So that put it at least, you know, seven and a half foot tall right there. And when me and dad was standing down in that ditch, you know, we could just barely see over those honeysuckles over there to that chair I was sitting in on the other side of the creek. He said, how high was it? I said, higher than I can reach, you know, at least. I said, you know, and I told him how much of it I could see sticking up over them honeysuckles and them briars. Well, then he walked over behind that tree I didn't want to get no more than 10 foot close to that tree, you know, but I scared something popped back out from around it. And they wasn't a whole lot of blood over there behind the tree, but they was blood on the leaves and stuff. And they was blood there on the tree. Cause you could see where the bullet had went through that thing's hand and hit that tree and spurred the bark up. And they was a little bit of blood and hair and, a little bit of meat on the side of that tree. You could kind of see through the little bit of brush the the trail it took through that little bit of brush and briars and stuff whenever it took off running from the tree. Because, you know, when something goes through briars or anything that's up over, you know, ankle tall, it'll make like a push mark. It'll bend stuff back the way it's going and leave a trail well dad was standing there looking down that trail after about 20 or 30 yards of them briars and stuff it opens back up into more open ground and just leaf litter and branches and stuff that's falling out all them trees on the ground there and you could pretty much see a straight shot from there to that bunch of little oak trees where it was snapping them off and stuff. And he took off down that same trail that it went down, and I followed it. And I had shot at it a couple times while it was running toward them oak trees, and I'm sure I hit it when it was running because you could hear that smack, you know. He seen a few more little drops of blood here and there, and... He uh, he said, well, you damn sure something. I said, no kidding, you know. And he walked over there, and we got over in them little oak trees, and the, uh, he was looking at the tops of them. And my dad wasn't a real big guy. He was only about 5'9", weighed 160 or 70 pounds, you know. He wasn't real big, so... He could just reach with his arm full extended. He could reach up there where them oak trees was broke. And he reached up there and grabbed a couple of them and was kind of 
twisting them on the bark so they're still hanging by the outer edges of the bark you know he kind of twisted them you could see blood up there where that thing was grabbing them with its right hand and breaking them off there was a little bit of blood up there well he said okay it run through a fence on so-and-so's land over there i said yeah it ran right through it. I said it didn't ever stop. It hit that fence and went through it like it was a ribbon, you know, it just popped them wires and kept going. So we we walked over that fence and there was four or five inch limbs where that thing had stepped on them and broke them that had fallen out of the trees on the ground. It was pretty much a beeline that we walked. You could see where it step on limbs and break them as it was running and we walked over that fence and it broke the top three wires when it went through there so from you know about 18 or 20 inches off the ground up for that fence was broke and he got out there and grabbed a hold of the wires and pulled them up there and looking at them you could see hair blood and stuff on the barbs where it hit them barbs and it pulled across them as it went through the fence, you know, he went on across that hay meadow cause he just kind of asked me where it hit the tree line on the other side. And I told him, you know, because there was an old hay ring, old hay ring over there, which a hay ring is just a metal ring built to put over a round bell of hay, you know, to keep cows from getting up on the hay and walking on it and bedding down on it once they heat it down some, you know. There was an old metal hay ring over there underneath some tree limbs, and it went just to the left, I mean, almost touching it when it hit them trees. It went just to the left side of that hay ring. And I told him, and he went over heading across that hay field. He's like, you coming? I said, no, I ain't going over there. I said, I don't know where it went over. I ain't going over. He said, now, son, you you got a damn elephant gun. Come on. I said, no, I don't care if I got a stinking bazooka. I ain't going over. But I wouldn't I wouldn't go across that hayfield. And, but he did. He traipsed over and he said they was, you know, limbs seven and eight foot off the ground right there as you get close to that other fence that was broke off from up there high off the trees. He said it looked like something had just grabbed them and ripped them off the trees over there, up in the trees a little ways. So I think it went up in there and stopped before it got to that other fence and turned around and, you know, started throwing itself another little fit once it got over in the mother trees. But it had been, the last time I remember looking at that cell phone, before I'd heard it hooping and hollering and before I'd shot it and all that. The last time I remember looking at that cell phone to see what time it was, it was about 7.30, I want to say, about 7.30. I know it hadn't hit 8 o'clock yet. It was sometime around 7.30 in the morning whenever I'd shot it, and it was about 4 o'clock in the afternoon when me and Dad went back over, you know, so it had plenty of time to, move on to leave yeah i was gonna ask if you ever caught up with it no he he didn't try to trail it no further than that other fence line 
and he didn't find no more blood over there or nothing, but he found them tree limbs where they'd been broke off, you know. Yeah, it's an amazing account. I wanted to ask you, could you describe for the audience what you actually saw before you fired that first shot? Um, can you describe the face and everything that you saw? It had kind of a round, round-shaped head. It wasn't, say, as round as a person's or as like a chimpanzee's. It'd be kind of more like a blend of like a gorilla's head and a chimp's. It kind of had a conish shaped head, but not not like a gorilla. It didn't come up to a big old hump on its head or nothing, you know. Kind of elongated a little bit. And it's, uh, its face didn't have a whole lot of hair on it. And it had real little ears. Its ears look, you know, half the size of a normal person's ears. It was real close to its head. Its forehead was real scrunched up looking, like it had a bunch of big wrinkles in its forehead. It had a pronounced brow ridge, but it didn't, like, stick an inch off its head or nothing, you know. It, it was pronounced, but it wasn't so pronounced. I would say it was you know, caveman looking or something like they you see in a museum, the wax sculptures, they make caveman's eyebrows look like they stick a half inch off its face, you know? Right, yeah. It didn't, it didn't really look like that, but it had a, a slope to its forehead all the way up to the top of its head, kind of like a gorilla. But it didn't go as high as a gorilla. It had them big wrinkles on its forehead and... And its skin, if you look at a at a person's face, you know, you can see the way its skin, the skin on your face has the wrinkles and stuff. Its skin had wrinkles kind of running both ways. They run horizontal and vertical. And its nose, its nose was stuck out a little bit, not not much. But it looked like you took the end of it and just pulled it down and attached it to its upper lip. And it was real flared out. It looked like it was three and a half or four inches wide across there, you know. It had real sunken eyes, like from the eyeball to the to it, the bridge of its nose, you know. It looked like it could have been a good half an inch down in there, you know, or an inch to its eyes. And the eyes was, you know, about as big as a 50-cent piece back in there. And its its lips was fairly flat. Didn't like stick out like a gorilla's. You know, their face kind of bubbles out under their nose or a chimp. This was pretty flat under its nose and real wide, wide, wide mouth like I'd say its mouth was probably six or seven inches from corner to corner, looked like to me, you know. You could tell it had a chin, but it almost looked like its neck and its chin met in the same spot, you know. It didn't stick out real far away from its from its neck. And it was real broad across the chin, real heavy, heavy jawbone. 
and it kind of had a, I've heard people refer to it like a down syndrome look. I know that that might offend people, but that's the best way I can describe it. I don't know of no other way to describe it, you know, but it, it didn't look like it, it was slow in the head or nothing. You know, you could tell by looking in its eyes, they was a thinking brain back in there, you know, because when, when I had the gun up, that look in its eyes that it was looking at me with, it was like, okay, this dude's over here, you know, pointing a boomstick at me. Is he going to use it? Or is he just pointing it at me? And I think the reason why it like growled and roared at me is because I screamed at it, you know. Right, you were yelling at it to talk if it was a human yeah. or whatever. Yeah. Yeah, I told it, you know, you better say something. You better say something, you know, or I'm going to shoot. If you don't say something, I'm going to shoot. And I find I mean, it, I find that interesting, though. And I don't mean to cut you off, Chris, but I find that part interesting. Did you, when you were looking at it, did it look, I realize it's not a human, you wouldn't have shot a human, but did it appear to be more human-like in the way it was looking at you and just its facial features, or? I I wouldn't say its facial features really registered as human. Its face, if if it would have shut its eyes and just its face sitting there, I would have said, that's an animal. You know, that's an animal I've never seen before, like registered in your internal index as an animal. You know what is for sure. But its eyes, it, there was something in its eyes where you knew that it it looked at you the same way you looked at it. Like it was studying you the same way it studied you studied it, you know. There was something in its eyes that said it wasn't like other animals, you know. It there's more to it than other animals, you know. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. Um, the other question I want to ask you is: you mentioned it putting its hands up, like palms out. Yeah. And when you when you say that, do you mean like when you see a person, you point again at a person, they say, "Don't shoot me," and they put their hands up? Was it that same type of motion? No, you know, a person like if you watch, say cops on TV or something, if they draw their weapon on somebody and they put their hands out, you know, they don't just do it real slow. They throw their hands out. This thing just picked its hands up like it was taking a deep breath as it was opening its mouth, almost like it was a challenge type thing, you know, okay, you're going to point that gun at me. I'm going to show you just how big I am. It didn't really seem like it was scared. It seemed like maybe it was studying the fact that if me and it getting a getting a little scrap here, he's showing me he's got a gun. Well, I'm going to show him that I'm just a big OSOB type of deal, you know. Yeah, and I, and I think some of the listeners listening, they'll give you crap about shooting it. But I think if I was 15 and the, I ran into this thing, it roared at me, I probably would have shot it too. And I think most people listening probably would have shot it uh, because what's the next step? You wait for it to charge you and then you start popping off shots. Yeah. Um, so I don't blame you for shooting. I, I would have shot the thing too, to be honest with you. That that run through my head whenever it started roaring, that it started off as like a deep guttural growl. Then the roar come out and it never shut its mouth. Like, you know, 
if you or I was to say something or to make a sound before you take and make another sound, you're going to close your lips and process the next sound out. You know, this thing didn't do that. It didn't do that at all. It, the growl was coming out with its mouth open and then the roar followed right in behind it. Like it was all one sound. It is. I, if it hadn't roared and kind of, it might've took a step toward me, but to me, it, I couldn't see its legs where it was standing, where I shot it. I could see from, you know, basically the bottom of its rib cage up and it looked like it leaned toward me whenever it started raising its hands and then that roar come out. If it hadn't roared and it had just turned around and took off walking, I wouldn't have shot. I watched it intently with that gun in my hand and made sure, you know, it was leaving me and I was going to leave it. But when it roared, it scared me. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be the first one to take a hit. You know, I'm, I'm going to be the first one to swing. That's the way I was raised when it comes to a situation like that. You don't let somebody get the upper hand on you before you get the upper hand on them, you know. If it's going to come to blows, you be the first one to hit. Oh, I agree. You can't ease into a street fight. You're going to lose if you do, you know, and and you didn't. You didn't ease into it, and I don't blame you one bit. Honestly, I know people aren't going to be happy with me saying it. I would have shot the thing, too. I honestly would have. I can tell you. You know, a hundred different ways I would have handled the situation, but really there was only one outcome to it. You know, it's in the past. It's what, it's done happen. I can't go back and, you know, pull that bullet back from the air and stick it back in that gun and just seeing what happened, you know. Yeah, and I, and I don't think that you should have to feel that way. You know, it's it's one of those situations to where it's always easier later. Hindsight's always 2020 yeah. you know what i mean but until you sit in the shoes of someone this thing's really not that far away from you it starts roaring at you it's got its arms up it's leaning into you obviously it's wanting yeah. to fight and you gave it a fight and it 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 lost it it i wouldn't say it lost i'd i'd say it if i'd have stayed there on that creek i think it probably would have come back it might have circled back around me across that creek in a different place where I wouldn't have seen it or something. Because from where I was at, a hundred yards down the creek in either way was a big bend. And it'd been back around you couldn't you couldn't see but about a two hundred yard straight line down that creek if you were standing on the far end of it at the other bend, you know. I I'm curious, what did your dad say? What did your dad tell you he, after that? He told me not to tell nobody. He said, don't talk to nobody about it. He said, because the last thing we need is cops or something coming down here and trying to put it to like you probably shot somebody and then a bunch of mess getting started, you know, or didn't need gang, gang wardens and official type people coming and getting around down in here and snooping into something and making a giant ordeal of it he pretty much just told me you tell you know you you talk to me about it you talk to your mom about it you talk to your sister you talk to your grandpa if you think he might believe you because even his daddy didn't he's he's still around and i've i've tried to talk to him about it a few times and he's 74 years old and he he just looks at me like i got two heads 
I've been in the woods my whole life and I ain't never seen a Bigfoot or heard a Bigfoot or seen a Bigfoot sign. Or, you know, that ain't real. That's his outlook on it. And that's a lot of other people's outlook on it. I've heard them. I've seen them. I shot one. I know it's there. I know they're there. They may not be there in gigantic numbers like other animals or something, but they're smart enough to know that people can cause problems for them. So they stay the heck away from us. They they might get curious and come in and look around and peep in windows. And they have been known to be aggressive, but they're just like people, you know. I got I got some kin folk that's doing hard time in penitentiary because they lost their temper and killed somebody, you know. And that's just the way some things are. Even like dogs. You can take two puppies out of the same litter and raise them both the same way, and one of them might be one that bites you someday for nothing, you know, just because it's got an attitude. Yeah, no, I understand what you mean. It's it's one of those things. Do you, do you ever regret shooting it? Do I regret it? No. I don't regret it because at the time I feel like it was going to get to be a situation where me and it was going to get to be real close friends. and one way or another, you know, and yeah, I tend to agree. I didn't no more want it trying to cross that Creek and come to where I was at. than it probably wanted me to come over and cross that Creek and come to where it was at. I think it probably felt like I was making a challenge out of myself because I wasn't posturing to get away. I wasn't posturing like I was going to take off. I had a fight stance, same as it did. Once I yelled at it, see, before I yelled at it, it was just standing there staring at me like it was studying me, like it was watching what I was going to do. If I'd have just reached over and grabbed that cell phone and took off, it probably wouldn't have never moved. But I was more worried about, you know, like the stories my dad told me about that guy over at Honubby, them things trying to, pretty much trying to get him. You know, they would, they would try to trap him off in the woods and they They'd throw rocks at his house, and they'd follow him down his driveway and all kinds of stuff, you know. I was more worried about that somebody following me home, pardon my language, and maybe crossing that creek and doing something to me while I had my back turned as I was, you know, getting away. So like yeah, I don't blame that you. fight or flight, I ain't never had no flight if it comes to fight or flight. I'm going to stand there bullheaded as I am, and I'm going to take it on the chin, whether it be bad or good. Yeah, and, I, and like and I said, I, I was doing. Yeah, and I don't blame you one bit. I mean, I really don't blame you one bit. Um, I think if I was in that position, I've already said it twice, but I think I would have shot it. I really do. I think I would have shot it. You're in a fight position. You can't ease into a street fight. You better start swinging. You can't ease into it. And you didn't. It did. And so I don't blame you one bit for shooting it. Now, did it ever come up to your dad's home? Did it ever come back? Did you have any? That, have one, any? that one, no. Not that I know of because no aggressive reactions was ever partaken on our end from it. I honestly think, you know, they're kind of like, I don't know what else, what all kind of critters do it besides lions. But, you know, like male lions are born into a group you know, the pride. And once they reach a certain age, they're kicked out. They have to go find their own family. You know, they can't stay there. 
dad says, nope, you're mature, you're, you're getting the hell out of here. I really think that's what it was, and that's what a lot of the noises we was hearing, you know, the calls at night was probably younger ones that was looking for, you know, a new home. They was moving through here and looking for a new area, and I think that's what it was because it was by itself. There wasn't no other ones. I didn't hear nothing else running off. I didn't see nothing else running off. It was it was alone. And it, it, I wouldn't say it looked emaciated, you know, it wasn't skin and bone. It was a heavy built dude. He was still sick, but like, he looked like he had, he had the mange to me. He, his hair was real thin on his upper torso and kind of patchy. And you could tell the skin like on its chest and up toward its neck and around its collarbone area was irritated like it'd been scratching on it you know as it ran off before it hit that fence you know when it first took off running i could see its back its back and its buttocks and down the back of its legs and stuff was heavy haired it was thick and it was i wouldn't really i don't know of a color just to spit out you know that would match it it was kind of a real deep reddish brown. It wasn't really brown and it wasn't really red. It was kind of a mix, you know, on its back. And the hair that was still visible on its front side around its chest and stomach area was kind of that same color, but it wasn't as dark because, you know, it was thinned out. Yeah, I'm curious about, um, I got to have you back, Grizz. I really got to have you back. Um, I feel like I'm, uh, you know, there's so much I want to talk to you about. Um, if you would, would you walk us into your most recent encounter that happened, uh, I think, two years ago? Uh, would you mind walking yeah. into that? Well, there was two right there in that kind of that same time period. There was the one, it was kind of a rainy day. It was kind of spitting rain a little bit, it a slow drizzle. And me and my wife and my brother-in-law had run into town to get, like, some hot box-type food, you know, something you get out of a gas station. We kind of get a hankering for them pizza pockets and stuff every once in a while, so we'll just run up here to the Choctaw store and grab some hot box food and some sodas and come back to the house. Well, that day, her younger brother, who was, I won't say he's about... 18 at the time was with us we uh we went into town got stuff at the Choctaw store and we was heading back home well right here in the driveway after you pass our mailbox we live at the end of a dead end lane there's houses back toward the blacktop from us about a quarter mile and then there's the old folks house up on the hill you know the people that was that called them things screechers and prowlers and stuff. There's a that house there, but it's abandoned now because both of them old folks have passed away since then. But we was, our mailbox is right at the, the end of their driveway. And right after you pass our mailbox, you can see, oh, down the driveway, it kind of keeps going to that Corps of Engineers land. 
and off there to the left, there's a gate, and there's a what almost looks like an old pasture road or something that goes in between the cedar trees down there. You can see it, that opening from our mailbox. Well, me and her brother was looking for deer. Me and my wife's brother, we was looking around for deer as we was driving. You know. The wife was driving. Well, me and Bam both caught something kind of moved real quick, and it was real dark looking. It was a lot bigger than a cow, like height-wise moved across that little opening down there at the end of the road there, that gate. We seen something move across that opening. And I said to the wife, I said, you see that? She said, what? I didn't see nothing. What are you talking about? And I looked back there in the back seat because her younger brother was sitting in the back seat, in the middle of the back seat behind us. I said, you see that? He said, that thing run across that, that opening down there in the trees? I said, yeah. He said, yeah, I seen it. I said, well, when we get to the house, I'm going to go down there and get the deer rifle. And we're going to go down there and look and see what that is, you know. Well, we come to the house, and I run back here to the bedroom, grab my deer rifle out of the gun safe. I run back out there on the front porch, and I just standing there on the front porch, and I was just scoping that area. Well, I seen it move up in them cedar trees, like it went from right behind one cedar tree, you could just barely see through them limbs, you know. And it's kind of cloudy. So it's real dark up in the trees, but you could see that darkness move back behind them trees from one tree to another. I said, there it is, ma'am. I see it. He said, you do? Where is it? And I said, well, there's that big cedar tree right there on the edge of that old road. He said, and there's a little bit smaller one just to the left of it. I said, it went back behind that other one. I can't see it now. And he said, you want to go down there and look? I said, yeah, let's go down there. So we got in a single file. I was out in front of him, you know, and we kind of jogged down the road. Well, we got within about 60 or 70 yards from it, and that sucker took off, and it headed down that opening. It ran out of the backside of them cedars, and we seen it kind of making the curve so that little road thing just stays open and kind of curves back to the left a little bit. We've seen it making the curve on the edge of the trees as it went to the left. So then we high-stepped it down there, and there's an old old gate tied up in the fence, in that barbed wire fence, for a crossing to that old feller that owns that place. He lets me go over there just kind of walking around the, edge of the creek and stuff and lets me squirrel hunt on it and whatnot so i didn't think twice about going over on his place you know well we hopped the fence and run down that opening well there's a whole bunch of bodark trees off down through there a bunch of smaller ones about eight or ten inches round you know and they're real thick you can walk in there and stuff because the limbs are up you know six seven foot off the ground but it's real dark up in there well we was running toward them bow darts following that little road and you could just barely make something out two three hundred yards away down through there in that dark the dark woods going down through the creek you can see it go down the creek bank you know well we got to the edge of them trees and i stopped and bam pretty much run right into my back when i stopped he was right on my tail. And he ran into me. He's like, what are you doing? 
I said, dude, I ain't going in there. You can't see very good up in there. It's dark in there. And where I'd stopped, about four foot out in front of me, right up in the tree line, you could see, and I wear a size 13 boot, pretty good size foot, but you could see like a skidded slide mark there and an impression in that ground because the ground was soft where it was raining. Going down toward the creek, the ground gets softer and softer the closer you get to that creek, you know. And we was about 150, 200 yards from the creek from there. Well, you could see where something had stepped as it was going in between these trees and kind of slid to the side a little bit and a real big impression in the ground there. And we eased up into the edge of the trees there and got looking at it. And you couldn't really make out the definition of toes and stuff, you know. But I just stuck my foot up there beside it, stepped my foot down there beside it. And that thing was, oh, almost twice as wide as my boot. Wasn't quite twice as wide. And it was longer than my boot by about four and a half, five inches there. And it was that thing's track where it run through there, you know. And you could see cow tracks and stuff off in there, but that wasn't no, no cow track. You know, if a cow or a horse or anything like that slides, it'll peel the grass up with its hoof as it slides, you know, make a skid mark. Well, this wasn't, wasn't really a skid mark. You could just tell that the ground had give way underneath something's weight kind of as it was turning. Like if you take your foot and you twist your foot on the mud, you know, it'll kind of make a squish down impression and kind of twist with the edge of your foot, you know, and you can tell that you stuck your foot down there and kind of twisted it as you was going. Well, that's kind of the way this was. You could see the dirt where the grass had been pulled away kind of over on the left side of that track, kind of twisted back to the right. And it was, that was back toward the hill. Like more of its weight was on the hill when it made that turn, you know. Like people, most of the time, if a person is taking a step turning you're going to turn out there toward the end of your foot out toward your toes right yeah when 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 we take a step our weight is shifted from the back of our foot to the front that you could tell that it it was almost more like reversed on that thing it was more like most of the weight whenever its foot come off the ground was on its heel when it turned, you know, which I guess for them might be a little more stable. I don't know because, you know, their weight's more straight lined in their leg from the knee down. Your weight is straight down to your heel more than it is straight down to your toe. You know, it was like it really turned more on its heel than its toes. And so you guys find the track, but is the creature gone at that point by the time you get up there? Yeah. By the time we had, really started noticing that track we'd seen it go down in the creek like down the creek bank from our side we seen more like it's head and shoulders and kind of mid back drop down the creek bank and then i don't know if it made a right or a left because you know the creek bank's probably seven or eight feet high right there and 
got a real easy slope going down to the water. And so it was right gone. It pretty much scattered yeah, it, at that point. Yeah, it, it got down by the creek and either made a left or a right because it didn't run straight across the creek because we didn't see it go up the bank on the other side. Because you could see across to the bank on the other side. We didn't see it go up that the other side of that creek. It could have made a right or a left. And if it was kind of hunkered over, we wouldn't have seen it no more, you know. And so do you guys leave? You said it was a kind of a two-part encounter. Did it? Did you guys just leave at that point? Did you back off? Yeah, we sat there and kind of looked around at that track for a while. And it was more in the, the afternoon setting. You know, this happened a little afternoon. So it was getting darker. And this was in the, I want to say it was the very first part of November. So it was kind of chilly and with the rain. It was really chilly and it was darker during that time of day, you know, and with the overcast of the clouds and stuff, it was really dark off in them woods. So I wasn't going off in them woods and I just told Bam, I said, let's, let's get back up here to the house. He's like, dude, we need to take pictures of that. I was like, I ain't worried about taking no damn pictures of it. Let's get back to the house. You know, that thing knows we're chasing it. And we can't see it off in them dark woods. Let's go home. So we just eased our way back to the house. Both of us kind of watching our back as we was going and scanning the area up ahead of us. You know, we come back to the house and no lady asked us, you know, what we'd seen and whatnot. I told her I thought it was a Bigfoot. And I told her about seeing one whenever I was a kid and about, shooting benton down there on the creek and she kind of acted like she just kind of blew it off you know like i was just telling her stories but because her brother was with me and he told her what he had seen which was pretty much the same thing i'd seen going down through there you know looked like a great big dude running away from you wearing black head to toe with no no break in it and i say black it could have been brown or red but with the lighting and it being wet it looked black going away from you down there you know no breaks in color it was all one solid black mass moving on two feet going down through there and so what's the second portion of that you said there was two encounters around the same time yeah about about two weeks after that me and a good close friend of mine and one of my younger cousins had decided we were going to go down there on the creek because my friend, he was kidless, you know, that weekend. His kid had went to stay with their grandparents, and my son was gone to his mom's that weekend. And we decided we was going to go down there in the woods and camp out overnight and tie one on, you know. We had some, some beer and a little bit of whiskey, and my cousin he wanted to go with us so he's like all right so and by this time i've made some four-wheeler trails from the house down to a, like a little camping area spot that i'd make down there i drug up a big log with my four-wheeler i say big it ain't real long you know it's about nine or ten foot long but it's probably 20 inches round you know from side to side so it makes a pretty good sitting spot and I'd gathered up some rocks 
and made me like a little fire ring down there. And I took the chainsaw down there and cut up some fallen trees, and I made me like a little stack of wood down there for if we decided we want to go down there and camp out. Well, my buddy, he brought a big old tent with him, and I had a, I got a spare bedroom. My house is a three-bedroom house, and I got a full-size bedroom bedroom set and and that uh, extra room and we took and folded that mattress up and tied it with a rope so we could haul that mattress down there and we'd put it in that tent and we decided if we got good drunk we'd go in there and lay on that mattress and pass out in that tent so it was kind of a dreary dreary day kind of rainy like you know spitting rain a little bit off and on about 40 degrees outside but we said we're gonna go down there and go camp out that night hang out down there on the creek and my wife and my buddy's wife they stay up here at the house or go to town watch movie whatever they want to do we're gonna have kind of like a guy's night out down on the creek bottom you know the women they took off to town to go do something whatever it was they decided they wanted to do and we gathered up our ice chest, and he had his four-wheeler over here, and I had mine, and my cousin had his. We load everything on these four-wheelers, and we take off down there. And we set up the tent. It was probably about 4.30 in the afternoon. You know, about November, it gets dark about 5, 6 o'clock. You know, it's pretty dark outside by then. And it's getting dusky dark, and we're setting up that tent. Well... We heard what well, almost sounded like a tree break, but it wasn't. It's was like a pop, just a popping limb or something, you know, which you hear from time to time down there in the bottoms. There's a lot of old dead trees, and sometimes a limb will just fall out of one, you know. That's kind of what it sounded like, like a snappy pop and then a crash. We didn't think nothing of it. Well, we're all getting stuff set up and got the ice chest set out over by that log and we uh, built us a little fire, and it was just far enough that the smoke wouldn't overtake you, you know, but you could feel the warmth off of it pretty good. And it, it started kind of clearing up. You started seeing, you know, stars up through the treetops separating out, you know. clouds were separating out. You could see stars up there. So I was like, heck yeah, you know, ain't going to get wet or nothing. It's going to turn out to be a pretty good time. Well, we'd forgot to take, like, we took some bread and cheese and some mustard and stuff down there in that ice chest. And we forgot to grab some. I had a couple of packs of hot dog and a pack of bologna up here in the ice box. Well, we'd forgot it. And it was getting to be pretty dark. My buddy and my cousin was like, man, we're getting hungry. Well, we'd been down there about an hour by that time. We built the fire, got the tent up and all that. And we started drinking some beers and kind of pulling on that old whiskey bottle a little bit. I said, well, we're going to run up here at the house. And Trey, who's his cousin, he said he had to go to the bathroom and he didn't want to bow up in the woods, you know. He said, I ain't a bear. I don't crap in the woods. I'm going to go to the bathroom. So they hopped on their four-wheelers and took off. Headed up here to the house, grabbed that lunch meat and hot dogs and Trey was going to go to the bathroom. That had been gone about 10 or 15 minutes. Well, I'd heard a whoop. 
shortly after them boilers got to where you could just barely hear them. Because you could still hear them. Like if they was rolling, you could hear them up here by the house if you was hitting on the gas on that boiler. You know, you could hear that exhaust kind of popping down through the woods. I heard them. They was getting up here to the house because they was letting off. You could hear them boilers, motors winding down, you know. And you heard them stop. And then you couldn't hear them once they killed them. Well, about the time they got them foolers killed, I heard a whoop off on a neighboring place. Got some big hay meadows and stuff. Back the other direction of where that one had ran that time. So it had run north, and that whoop kind of come from the south. And I just, you know, knew down in my bones, I knew what that whoop was. I'd heard it all throughout my life growing up and stuff. You know, I'd heard them whoops and hollers. And I just kind of started talking to myself. I was like, well, you know, there goes a, this is going to be an eventful night. Because I told my good buddy and my old cousin, I'd, I'd told them them stories, you know. And they they kind of laughed about it and kind of poked a little fun, which didn't bother me none. You know, I kind of expected it. Just kind of shrugged it off like, you know, it's just a boogeyman story type deal, you know. Well, I said to myself, I said, self, you know, they're going to, they're going to get an experience tonight. You know, I just know it. Well, on their way back, you could, you know, you could hear them. They were just easing that way. Well, about halfway down there, them folders opened up, like was running hard, wide open. <laughs> and they come flying up through the wood and you can see their headlights coming through the trees, you know, here and there. And they was running pretty quick. They come right up by the fire on them foolers. I mean, right up by the fire and stopped. And they was both jabbering at the same time. We thought it was you, you know, because I was wearing a black heart coat and I had on dark blue jean pants. I said, we thought we seen you out there by the gate coming into the woods. I said, no, you didn't see me. So I've been right here. My old cousin, he said, well, we thought it was you. He said, uh, but it throwed a stick at us. He said, about as big as a baseball bat, it kind of throwed a stick toward them forwarders and then run off. He said, and then we seen it turn and run back up behind us, and it was kind of like chasing us throwing sticks here and there so we gunned it over here my buddy i don't want to say his name you know because he worked for the sheriff's department he, yeah uh, you don't have to yeah he uh he was collaborating that same story you know and i was like well y'all just sit down here and y'all calm yourselves down you know i was like i don't i don't think that uh that was a person and I explained to him, you know, that I thought it was Bigfoot that they'd seen and that, uh, it was probably just a little bit aggravated cause they was on them folders making racket. So it was showing its small amount of aggravation and they just kind of sat there quiet. Like they was processing what I'd told them, you know, then you could hear something up the hill cause we cut down in the Creek bottom and about a hundred yards 
for about a hundred yards, it's flat. And then it kind of starts making a little incline up this hill. Or you could hear something large enough that it didn't sound like a deer. You know, when a deer walks in the woods, it, it sounds, you know, you can hear four feet going through there. Two feet's usually almost always moving at the same time. So it goes through the leaves. Well, because it's a little bit damp, you wouldn't hurt a deer. But this was kind of a smashing, crunching sound. Like it'd step on some twigs and stuff, and you could hear them pop. And it was smash, crunch, pop, smash, crunch, pop. It wasn't smash, 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 like a whole lot of feet. It sounded like two feet, like a person walking on the side of that hill up there in the dark. Because there wasn't no moon. It was during the part of the month when there ain't no moon, you know, pitch black outside. Well, you could just hear it walking alongside that hill. They both, you know, keyed in on that noise going up through there. Then you could hear something back along to our left kind of moving in the woods a little bit. Like it was two of them. I ain't never, I ain't never encountered you know, two at the same time, this this could get pretty cool. And the firelight, you know, the light from the fire, you could see around us probably 50 or 60 feet real good, you know, all the way around you. And then it kind of tapered off into just darkness off in the woods, you know. Well, over right on the edge of the firelight, there's a real big log laying there big old oak tree that had fallen down probably 10 or 15 years back laying there on the ground and it was a big old oak tree like if you walked up beside it it's it's probably near hip high off the ground to the top of this oak tree laying on its side you know and all the limbs was all broke off of it from when it fell and stuff because it was dead when it fell you know well i got the bright idea because not only did they grab lunch meat, they grabbed my buddy. He's real big about eating apples and oranges and stuff like that. Well, he brought a little bag of oranges and a little bag of apples with him. And he got it out of his truck when they come up here to get the lunch meat and stuff and brought them down there. Well, I was like, <laughs> I wonder, you know, just out of pure curiosity, if I set some of these out there on that log over kind of toward the one end of it where it's dark what might happen you know so i grabbed two apples and two oranges and took them over there and set them just outside of the light where it was fairly bright on that log where it's still pretty dark and just left them there well we quit hearing any noises you know and we just got to talking and BSing about things that happened in high school and stuff, you know, five or six years back, and just events where me and my old buddy had backed off, you know, four or five guys at one time, just the two of us, because we're both rather large fellas. He's not real tall, but he's made like a rock. He's he's two hundred and fifty pounds of solid dude you know <laughs> he's he he's a big ball of muscle is what he is yeah and i'm 
right around six foot tall and weigh 300 pounds and not all, all of it's table muscle, you know, <laughs> it's cause I spent a lot of time in the weight room growing up. Cause that, that was my passion back in high school. I, I played football so I could go to weightlifting competitions and stuff. That was my thing. Right. And we, we backed off people and got in fights and stuff. And we was all just, you know, guy talking about the old times and stuff. And I directly, Tyler looked over at the end of that log and one of those oranges you could see real good. Well, he couldn't see that orange no more. He's like, did I stop paying attention? And one of y'all go over and take them oranges and apples off that tree. No, they're still over, ain't they? He said, well, I can't see that one orange no more. So we all three got up and walked over there. Well, all them apples and oranges was gone. I took two apples and two oranges over there. I was gone. And they wasn't laying on the ground on the other side of the stump because we stepped over there and took a little old flashlight that we had. We just had one of them little old double-A power flashlights, you know, just for, like, looking around in a toolbox or something or in the back of your truck if you're looking for something at night or, you know, just a little old four-inch long flashlight. We was shining around. They wasn't no apples. There wasn't no oranges. There wasn't no orange peels like a possum or something that got up there and eat them or a coon and mess with them or something, you know. Wasn't none of that there. So Tyler was like, dude, that's pretty trippy. I was like, man, I know uh, they're gone. He's like, yeah. I wonder what happened if we leave some more. I was like, heck, I don't know. Let's get some of that bologna and them hot dogs and put over here too. Well, we put everything kind of more in the light where you can see it all with that fire there and throw a couple extra logs on the fire so it'd be a little brighter and you can see them pretty good well we got to sitting there BSing again and we'd paid pretty close attention to it for probably 30 or 45 minutes and then kind of just quit watching it real good well then I looked over there it was all gone again you couldn't see them apples and the oranges or baloney or nothing. We walked over there and looked around. There wasn't none of it there. We went back over and sat down. Tyler's like, man, we uh, want to put some more of that over there. See if we can and just, then just sit here real quiet and see if we see anything getting it. I was like, ah, I don't know if it's a good idea to be giving them suckers food, you know. They might... They might have a bad attitude if I start coming down in here hunting or something and ain't bringing them food. Cause I hunt all through there too. I don't, I don't go off up in the hills and deer hunt around a bunch of all them other goober heads that go up there and run dogs and stuff. You know, right. I hunt right back here behind the house. Well, he was like, well, all right. Well, we got to sitting there, him hauling around and stuff, laughing about stuff. Well, I directly, here come this orange flying through the air and bouncing off the ground right up there next to that log. I mean, it rolled right up there to that log we were sitting on. And old Trey, he he about left his skin when that orange come bouncing up through there. He he was ready to go right now. And I mean, some right now, he was, he was ready to get out of there. I guess them things didn't like him oranges because me and Tyler kind of talked Trey down because he was getting a little irate 
you know, he's a little bit drunk and hear this orange come out of nowhere, you know, flying up there with us. He, uh, he decided he, he didn't like the idea of being down there no more. Well, we calmed him down after a couple of minutes and he sat back down on the kind of leaned back again, the, the front of his folder and set his butt up on the front rack a little bit. He, he wasn't getting too far away from that folder. <laughs> and he said, well, all right, you know, we'll stay down here a little bit longer. He's like, but I'm going home tonight. I ain't sleeping down here. You can forget that. I said, well, you know, all right, whatever. That's all right with me. Well, we sat there, I don't know, maybe another five or 10, 15 minutes it went by. It's hard to keep track of time when you're just talking, you know. There come another orange. Well, this time they throwed it at Trey, right at him. Like they knew it tripped him out, you know, whenever they throwed that other one. And it it wasn't just in flight direct at him, but it you seen it come out of the darkness about two or three feet off the ground and just kind of start skipping off the ground like a ball and rolled right up there, right in front of him, just went right in front of him. And that was it. He was gone. He said, that's it. I'm done. And he hopped up on his four-wheeler and fired her up. And when he fired it up, you could hear something in the woods kind of take off. You could hear it crash, 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 back up the side of that hill. And he, 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 Lit out of there. He went home. Me and Tyler sat there for a minute. You could hear something moving around on the side of that hill again. And this time it sounded like something bigger. It didn't sound as light and as fleeting, you know. It sounded heavier and more. And it it was coming a little quicker than the other ones had been moving around. Just boom, bang, boom, bang. And we didn't have no guns with us down there. And Tyler, he looked at me and I looked at him and I could tell in his eyes, you know, that he wanted to go. And I'm sure he could tell in mine because we both kind of said it at the same time. You know, what do you think about going home, you know? Let's go back to the house. And we both kind of said that at the same time. You know? Want to go back to the house? I was like, yeah, let's, let's, let's go back to the house. So we just grabbed our ice chest set it up on the folder and throw the bungee cord across it and then took and went over and kicked some dirt back over on top of that fire until it went out while we was kicking that dirt we had that little flashlight you know just kind of shining it around just kicking that dirt up on that fire well we got back on the folders and we come to the house and we just stayed at the house the rest of the night went back there we went back down there that next morning I mean well, Tyler, because Trey went home, he didn't say bye or nothing when he got when he got back here to the house. He loaded up his folder and he went home. He left. He ain't he ain't been back down there in the woods since. He he's come to the house a few I times. I don't blame him. He's been back down there in the woods. <laughs> I don't blame it, him. It it tripped him out pretty good. But uh, me and Tyler come back to the house and we just finished drinking what was left of that whiskey and beer and went to bed here at the house and got up that next day and went back down there to get the mattress and the tent. Well, when we'd left, we'd left the zipper zipped up about halfway. So the top part of that tent door was open. When we got down there, the, uh, the zipper was open all the way. 
and the tent door was flopped out and the mattress had been pulled out of the tent and was laying out there on the ground. And you could see like smudge marks in the bottom of that tent and smudge marks on the door were like a muddy hand or wasn't really defined as a hand, but you could tell it, it'd be like if you stuck your hand in mud and then Richard Byrne just rubbed it across the door, you know, but it was, it was more than double the size of my hand. And I got pretty good sized hands, that muddy streak on that door. And then the smudge marks on the floor of the tent was like each one, there was about five of them in there. Each one was bigger than my boot by five or six inches, you know, just the smudge marks and more than twice the width of my boot inside that tent. And it was one of them big tents, you know, where you could, I could stand up and stretch my arms up in there and just barely touch the roof of the tent with my fingertips, you know in the middle it had about six foot high wall panels and then it kind of domed upward into a dome shaped top did you notice anything taken anything removed no because we didn't we didn't leave nothing down there except a smoldering fire covered with dirt and that tent and that mattress because when we when we was drinking beer we uh we drink beer because there gets to be enough trash down there in that creek bottom by itself because that creek runs right along the edge of town and people's always throwing trash in the creek. And then when that creek floods up out of its banks, you know, it'll bring that trash up out of the water and leave it laying along the ground all around the creek, you know. So I try not to trash it up no more and it already gets trashed. But while we was drinking beer, we'd take them into beer cans and put them back in the ice chest. So we didn't leave no beer cans or nothing down there. I got gotcha. The tent and the mattress and the tent had them muddy spots in it and smudges and the mattress was drug out on the ground. Well, let, me, let me ask you this. I know we're running a little short on time and I got to have you back, Grizz. I, I got to have you back on the show. I mean, there's so many other things I want to ask you. I just don't want it to turn into like a four-hour show and keep yeah. you, keep your your time. As we close it out, I want to ask you what what do you think Sasquatch is? I'm with you. I think that they can be shot I'm, and everything else, but well, I got different opinions on oh, it. But what do you think? That oh yeah, are? you know, there's people that think that it's some kind of interdimensional type being. You know, it can go from one dimension to another. I don't think that at all. You know, if it if it was going to disappear, if it was some kind of interdimensional creature, it would have it would have said "Pop goes the weasel" and got the hell out of there. Whenever I shot that one with that twenty two, it wouldn't have run over there and made another display because it was mad. I might as well have been shooting a bull with a BB gun. You know, after the hindsight's twenty twenty, whenever I shot that thing with that twenty two, but I hit it in tender enough spots that. It didn't want to jack with me no more. But if it was an interdimensional being and you are causing it harm, wouldn't you think it would step into another dimension and get the hell out of there? You would think so, yeah. I, I think it's just a 
another living, breathing animal. It's just another form of a ape. I don't really think it's some kind of weird connection between man and and monkey or something. I I I don't believe that. I I know there's people out there that but believe in the evolutionary thing, you know, that people come from monkeys, but I don't. I believe people was created by God and God created all the animals on the earth. And I believe they have a purpose. You know, they was made for a reason. What it is, I don't know. Like, I can't tell you that all the reasons, you know, that every animal that walks this earth was made for. It's got a purpose. And I think it's more like a ape than it is a person it's just a lot smarter than your average monkey you know yeah no i hear you well let me ask you this grizz would you come back to the show i know you're you got a more stories with your family and i I sure would love to have you back if you'd come back yeah yeah i'd come back i mean i've i've got lots of stories from other members of my family from from my dad and then there's also members of my family on my mom's side that's had some experiences that I've talked to about you know but they're a little more reserved about what they'd call it they're uh, you know they they won't just say yeah I've seen a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch or yeah. <laughs> the wild man in the woods you know they'll just tell you i seen something that wasn't a man and it dang sure wasn't a bear you know type of deal yeah, I'll definitely, definitely have to have you back. And I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and share your encounters. I, I really, and it's very eye-opening. And a lot of what you talked about is very eye-opening. And I really appreciate you coming on and, and talking about it. Oh, man, I'm, I was happy to. I've been, I've been wanting to talk to somebody, you know, for years that I thought would be worth talking to my My grandma had shared her story with the BFRO people, but pretty much all they wanted out of it was to say, you know, she had an encounter and, and they wanted to put it up on their website so they could put another marker on the map, you know, but I've listened to probably half to three quarters of your shows. And I decided that I, I wanted to talk to you about it because you, you don't, it's not like you try to put words in somebody's mouth, you know, you ask them a simple question, like, what did it look like to you? You know, what, from your perspective type of deal, it ain't like, well, this is my point of view. How about yours? You know, you just want to know the people you talk to's point of view and, and share a little bit of your own experience. And I thought it, you'd be the guy to talk to, you know, well, I'm so glad you did. I really, it's very eye-opening, especially when you talk to witnesses, and you get more information, especially when you talk to witnesses. And you, and you know, sometimes I don't ask questions the right way, but I try to, and not try and make it sound like I got some sort of agenda. You know, where I'm trying to. Yeah. You got to really ask people, and unless you're willing to, you got to ask a question, and and if you don't want to hear the answer, don't ask questions. You know, and there you uh, go. Because a lot of times people don't tell you what you want to hear. And, uh, but if it's the truth and it's what they're saying, then it's worth its weight to sit and listen to what someone has to say. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I definitely didn't feel like you 
stepped on my toes at all. I didn't, I didn't feel like I was, you know, being pushed or nothing. Just so you know, I think you handled it a lot better than most people. Like I've listened to some stuff and, you know, like I said, the people doing the interview want to interject their forethought on top of what somebody's trying to tell them. And it just kind of makes it seem like it's a projected story instead of really what the person had seen just for themselves. You know? Yeah. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you, Grizz. Thanks for the kind words. And thank you so much for coming on. Oh man, it's, it's been a pleasure. It really has. I actually feel like I've let some weight off, you know, because I've, I've carried it around with me all these years and I, I want to talk to somebody about it, you know, but it's just figuring out who, who's going to think you're nuts or who's going to look at you, you know, like you got two heads and try to tell you you're outright lying or something, you know, to me, that ain't, that ain't right to do somebody. If somebody's got something they want to say, you should, you know, let them say it. And I feel like that's what you do. And, and, with the experiences that you've had and all the people you've talked to. And I felt like you'd be a good guy to tell because you, to me, you've got more experience with it than most people, you know, most people that have had encounters or anything. Cause you, you've sat there and took information from hundreds and hundreds and maybe thousands of people, you know, I feel like with that kind of, that kind of knowledge that you got, then, then I could get, you know, some some relief. Well, I'm honored. Thank you again, Grizz. Oh, man, no problem. And I'd be glad to talk to you some more sometime. Absolutely. I definitely have to have you back. Thank you again. And that's it for tonight, everyone. Remember, if you've had an encounter, shoot me an email. My email address is wes at sasquatchchronicles.com. Until next time, everyone. Thank you.